we begin tonight on a, just a couple of weeks, a few weeks now of this topic called the body. Everyone say the body. We're going to provide this exposition of this very critical and important subject, the body. You have your hand out. I want to just start with the scripture. And here's Paul's writings to the church at Ephesus. And I'm kind of catching him in midstream, but I think this will help us at least a couple of verses to put this into context. Till we all come in the unity of faith. Everyone say the unity of the faith. If you have a pencil or a pen, underline unity of the faith. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. So there was a growth in them. They were learning the faith. Now if you want to put it in the margin, put unity of the spirit. Write unity of the spirit in the margin. Now I want to tell you, revelation will come to everyone who's hungry. And you'll come into the unity of the faith. But before you get there, you can come immediately into the unity of the Spirit. So first it's the unity of the Spirit leads us to the unity of the faith. If you don't have unity of the Spirit, chances are you're not going to submit yourself to the faith. Amen. And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is a, this is a, this is a, a large, this is a broad um, pursuit. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby thy lie and wait deceived. Just pause on verse 14. There has to come a time when you have a settled truth. Now, I don't want to deviate too much here. I just want to tell you, there are settled truths in the world. There are not subjective truths. It is an oxymoron to say, my truth, his truth, her truth, their truth. No, because truth is not validated by the subjective mind. So it cannot be individual. Individual truth is also an oxymoron. It's kind of like saying jumbo shrimp. That's an oxymoron. Um, government intelligence. <laughs> that's an oxymoron. Um, uh, you know, uh, public servants. <laughs> Everyone knows that's not true. Uh, we call them public royalty, monarch. Um, no, th- th- this is a God's truth, not my truth, not your truth. It's the Lord's truth. It's the Lord's word. Let God be true, what did the Bible say? And every man a liar. God's not a man that he should lie, the Bible says. Nor the son of man that he should. He's not, he's not like us. In fact, the Bible says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness. If he gives you a promise, he's not like other people. He will never take back that. It's a promise. He gave it to you. So you don't have to worry. Now, you may not know the time that the promise is fulfilled because he doesn't always tell you his timing. But if he said, I will do this, he will do it. Amen. 
Now, we have a tough time because we filter God through our human relationships. So just so you know, there is a settled truth. The Constitution of the United States is a settled document. It's not a living organism. And when people make it a living organism, though what they want to do is they want to change it. It's got to be a settled document. The reason why heretofore we've had so much stability in a short, what, 276, uh, something like that, years, is because we had a settled document that guided us. Constitutionalism settled the United States. No matter what anyone says, that's why all the world is clamoring to get in. They're clamoring to get in here. So, where did that come from? That came from the settled document called the Bible. So, when you get into the unity of the faith, you won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine because there's a lot of different doctrines that float. All these doctrines that float disrupt people and pull them away from the fundamental truth. How are we doing? We're not yet to our lesson, but I thought, I thought this might help us. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in, un, into him in all things, which is head, even Christ. Everyone say, which is the head? Even Christ. From whom? Everyone say, from whom? That means the head. From the head, from whom? The head, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now let me just shorten that for you. We can expound that. Let me just shorten that for you. Is that the head has produced the body. And within the body, the body has the elements of self-healing. But that always came from the head. The head, self-being. Now in the human body, and, I, and there, there'll be points in our series that will refer back to the anatomy, the human anatomy. But when your body is in trouble, your brain sends, sends signals and will release chemicals uh, to help the infraction of the human body. Such also does the Lord send the message that will heal the church body. Incredibly enough, every word of God is so pure that one word from God can heal everybody of different things that they're going through. When Jesus broke the bread, he fed the whole multitude with a loaf of bread. One loaf of bread can, heal, can, can, can feed everybody no matter what your taste is. Because the bread that comes from him is him. All right. Amen. Well, let's just talk through this. So from whom is the head? The head is Jesus Christ. So you have to know that there is a head. When we talk about the body, the body is never absent from the head. The, 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 the body encompasses the head. Jesus Christ um, is the head of the church. And if he is removed, ooh, if he's removed, then the body is no longer the body of Jesus Christ. It's a country club. It's a community center. It's a VFW hall. It, it's a place where we come and kind of have a good time and find out where people are going to church. I mean, where people are going to eat after the service is over. That's where people pay dues. Walk out, sing to the back of someone's head. Fellowship is lost in formality. 
Amen. Colossians 1.16. For by him were all things created. That was Jesus Christ. That are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Ooh, there's a big one. Whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things. Now that has at least two meanings. Before, meaning that, number one, he is in front of, and also that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, that that he predates them. So he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. He is the preeminent Savior, the head of the body, the one and only, the sole champion, conqueror, Jesus Christ the righteous, and there's no one in his place. He has no competition. He has no counter. He has no narrative that anyone can speak of that's counter to, to the goodness that he exudes. He is not exhibiting love. He is love. He doesn't exhibit power. He is power. He is the grace and the mercy. And he is your strength. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it and they are saved. He is his own attribute. And he takes counsel By the measurement of his own will. I counsel with my friends, my wife, my pastor, my brother. (laughs) Whatever Dana says, I do the opposite. I counsel. But when it comes to God, he is led by the counsel of his own will. He doesn't need my validation. He is the head. And if he becomes the head and... And he is by preeminence, all things he might have preeminence. That means the only way for him to have preeminence is for us to recognize that he is the only God. Not only that there is one God, but Jesus is the only God. He is the invisible. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the king, immortal, eternal. The only wise God. He is (laughs) the head of the church. Just in case you want to know who's in charge of this place. It's not the person with the keys. Not the person that can unlock the front door. Jesus is in, is in charge. He can set up and tear down. He can build up and remove. By the movement of his foot, the Nile River changes its course. In his season, he makes all things for his pleasure. <laughs> And the reason why this room exists and we all come here is because of him, not because of anybody else. It's because of the Lord. It was the Lord that drew you. It was the Lord. Not a program, not a music, not a personality. He sets it all up. This does not have to be, but according to his will, he said, I just need some willing people who will be the people. And from that, he creates the body. And we are privileged to be in the body of New Life Fellowship. Now, as a uh, qualifier, I want to recognize our esteemed missionaries to Nepal and to South Asia. Brother and Sister Snow, we're so glad that you're here. We welcome you tonight. Amen. Bless you. 
We're honored that you're here. And we know that the places you go, um, you build up and encounter the body of Jesus Christ also. So as a qualifier, um, the body of Jesus Christ is massive. It's all over the world. Far greater than any denominational lines or boundaries or any organization. You have no idea. In fact, I talked to Pastor Stark this morning. And Pastor was in South Africa and found so many churches there. They have no affiliation. He said, I went to uh, a church. He said it was the most um, pristine place. And it was packed out. There was 1,200 people and they were packed out. And he said, we asked them, what do you say when you baptize someone? They said, well, we say what Peter said, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus. You just have no idea how many hundreds of thousands and millions of people have experienced what we experience every day. You just don't see the totality of the body of Jesus Christ in the earth. But for the sake of our time, I'm talking about the body that convenes at New Life Fellowship. The headship. The head or the headship. It's the process or aspects. I'll I'll offer a couple of things to you. First, it's the thinking or the thought. Um, What is the mind of God? We we want to search for the mind of God. What is the Lord thinking? And and we've we've said that many times. I've I've heard that since I was a child. Let's, Let's seek for the mind of God. One of the things that I learned very early on in preaching was that I wanted to know the mind of God and the thought of God. Another way to, to, to look at that as the leading of the Spirit. How does anyone decide what to teach or preach or what to say? Uh, you have to have the mind of God, the thought of the Lord. And so that, that transfers... Um, or, or, or that, that changes even what might be said through personality or through intellectualism. Because what God might, might be thinking could be far different than what we might be thinking. Without the head, you're not going to know what the thought is. The, the other aspect is this is the action center. It gives the command, the, the body of the church, uh, much like the human body. There has to be a command center. The hand, um, the arm, the legs take, author- take their orders from the head. When, when the body is out of order and things are wrong, uh, the members um, are, become aloof and this happens in churches. The headship is messed up. And so people are start to do their own things at their own will. And this becomes a tragic event for us. We'll get into that a little bit. And number three, this is the rationalization. The headship, there's a rationalization which produces intentional dispositions or disposition. It basically means that from the head... It will produce a personality, a disposition. If the head is in order, then the disposition of the body 
will follow the headship. Now, this is very difficult because uh, all of us uh, have our own distinct will. And that will, your will, your desire is every day in conflict with God. You have to kill that and subdue it every day. You do that through prayer. You have to sacrifice that every day because your will will deviate from his will in a blink, in a second. It doesn't take long. It doesn't take very long for you to to exercise the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Anger, uh, depression, I don't even know. So this comes from the head. If the head is operating the body, the body will be fully functional. Now Jesus Christ is the head. He's also called the chief shepherd. First Peter chapter 5, I'll read a little bit to you. Feed the flock of God, this is for the, for, the, for the leaders, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Don't be lords, but be examples. And when the chief shepherd, verse 4, shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that doesn't fade away. So, this is the head. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. Amen. And we'll go back to that in a very regular sense. Because the best way for the church to implode or to get infected or to become disjointed is for us to lose sight of the head. If we lose sight of the chief shepherd and we do our, thing, our own thing, we cease to become sheep. Now, in Palestine next year, uh, I hope, hope I see it again, we'll drive in a bus, look over, and I, it doesn't matter how far away they are, I can tell you if that's a shepherd or a goat herder, if it's sheep or goats that he's tending to. It's the position of the man. If it's a shepherd, they are all huddling around him and they walk behind him. He's always in front. Every time, never fails. If he is tending to goats, he's behind them, beating them to go forward. I can always tell if they're a goat or a sheep in relation to where they're standing. <laughs> oh, yuck. He was doing so good until he went right there, didn't he? Why did he do that? What am I? Look around, look around. You know, you know, you know. I know. Because that is the, that is the chief shepherd. We follow him. The moment you get in front of him, decide you're going to do whatever you want to do, get in front of the head, you cease to become the sheep of his pasture. And then you wonder, why? well, I've read Psalm 23. What's wrong? Well, because you're a goat. Because you stopped following the Lord and now you're wondering, well, I thought you were going to lead me through it. He did, but you got so far in front, you got lost. Because what happened was, go back to the top now, what happened was, he did not, was not able to produce in you the disposition that you were supposed to have because you weren't looking at the head. <laughs> the attitude of the church has to come from the head. It has to come from Jesus Christ. Amen.
All right. Well, okay, we'll just go on because we have things to fill in. We'll forget about what I just said. Let's talk about the functions of the body. The functions of the body. Now, these these are apparent, but they're not always um, exercised. One of the functions, and I and I I will confess I did not exhaust the list. I just gave you a few. Is to be a witness or an example and a haven to and for the lost. It's a function of the body. Ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. You are salt and you are light. So you must be a witness and an example. Now that is not an easy thing to always do. It's not always easy to be an example. First way, first place is to be example among the body. Examples for the body within the body. Examples of what to do, what not to do. I'll give you some simple ones. I learned how to shout and dance watching my father. I learned how to dance, shout, pray, watching my mother. I learned how to conduct myself watching some of the people in the church because they set an example for me. When new people walk in and you don't know where they are and they're sitting somewhere in the church, they can easily imprint on you. And if you are demonstrative in your worship, they'll be that same way too. But if you are a bump on a pickle, They'll grow up thinking that they're part of the frozen chosen. Because that's what you are. You are an example. Now you think, well, no one's looking at me. Chances are you're wrong. People are always looking at you. They're looking at you. They're finding you. They'll, They'll see something about you they want to be like. So if you have a spirit of love, genuineness, purity, worship, whatever, spirit of giving, sacrifice, serving, you will imprint on someone most of the time. It'll be unsuspecting. You won't even know who you're imprinting on. The body has to function for the purpose of a witness and an example. Amen. Number two, or letter B, one of the functions is to be the voice and hands of the head. This is the design of Jesus Christ. You are the voice you're the hands of the Lord. Well, Lord, t- tell us when you were hungry. Tell us when you were thirsty. Tell us when you were naked. T- tell us. And Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me. So one of the fallacies of the American church is that we come to church and think that that's our sole obligation. That's not true. We are to be the active force on the earth. We are to do things and not just hear things. When we hear it, then we put it into practice. This is an interactive body. Even by saying amen, that's right, praise God. It's an interactive church. It's an interactive response. And some of the times we need to do that here just to make our voice known so we can practice. And when we get out there, we can be a witness and be the hands and feet and be the voice for the Lord. If the, if the Lord had not chosen that, then he would speak audibly to every person that's in the world. He uses your voice, your hands, to feed, help, nourish, pray at any 
Any given time. I, don't, I, don't, I can't tell you in the last month how many times I've been in a conversation. I did not even know the conversation was going to take place, but I felt, okay, I'm going to pray right now. We're going to pray right now. And the person I was talking to happened today. The person I was talking to, I didn't plan on hearing everything that the individual said, but at the end I said, okay, we're, we got to pray right now because that is the function of the body. Amen. Now, we can... We can tell you why people don't want to be an example because an example means that you have to stop thinking about yourself. That's hard for us to do. And, and to be a voice in hands means that you, you understand that the Lord has limited himself and given the responsibility to the church. Amen. All right. And, 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 and the reason why that doesn't happen is because people got religious. You have religion. And religion made you feel comfortable. Now you got the Holy Ghost and you say, well, I'm not going to hell. So it doesn't matter. Well, the Holy Ghost is not fire insurance. How, how are we doing here? What's happening? Is this disturbing you? I'm here to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comforter, comfortable. That's what I'm here to do tonight. You, speak, you have a little speaking in tongues. That's wonderful. What are you going to do when you get out there? Go talk in tongues out there too. Don't just leave it in the house. Be speaking in tongues everywhere, wherever you go, pray, pray in the Holy Ghost. I don't think the early church thought, well, let's just wait till we get to heaven. I mean, get to church rather, and then we'll just have church there. They didn't have a building at least for 300 years, and they thought wherever they were, they were the church. Wherever they walked up, that's where they met. On the street corner, at their homes, wherever it was. Now, yes, they did go to the temple, but in Acts 2 and Acts 5 says they were in the temple and from house to house. Whose house? Only the church people's house? Maybe they were in other houses that weren't, the folks were not affiliated with Acts 2. So perhaps we become too religious and now we don't think we are his hands and his voice. He could teach them a Bible study, but he chose you to teach them the Bible study. He could teach them the revelation of who he is, but he taught you to do that. He said, I'm giving you power to be a witness. Yes, all right. Amen. Let her see. Another aspect of this function is, is to unite together, to function together, to practice together under one vision with patience and love. There's no two different or three different visions in this house. All of our leaders here know they're functioning under the vision that God gave me and Sister Tammy. And our job then is to execute the vision. One vision. Because if you've got two or three different visions, then you've got schisms and issues and fractions. And many churches operate under that where someone has this idea and that someone has that idea. And then all of a sudden, everyone becomes single issue people. Like a blinder on, single issue people. Well, pastor, if we'll just meet three times a week for prayer, the Lord will do something. All I can think, well, pastor, if we'll just have a soup kitchen, single issue. That means that they have their own vision. And when I hear people say, well, I got a vision. I'll tell you what I, the Lord wants me to do. Why don't you get in the body? Because when you sever, you sever yourself from the body when you have your own idea. Unity is fractured when there's a lot of opinions floating around the church. Well, 
I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm going to be with you a long time. It's going to be a long winter. And I'm killing Punxsutawney Phil. We're going to barbecue him. And Let me give you four entrances into the body. These are, these are important for our church. And I feel like these are critical for the coming days. I feel like next year, I don't know when this is going to happen, but I hope you can remember this. This is going to be critical for us. Now, there may be another one. You can come and tell me personally if you find another one, but I, I, I'll, I'll give you my four big entrances into the body, into this body. Now, before you get there, there's a sermon that I preached a couple years ago called The Family Business. Who remembers the family business? If you don't remember the family business or you didn't hear it or you heard it but you forgot it, I'd like you to go to the website and, and get on, I don't know where it's at, look up the family business and listen as your homework assignment before next week, the family business. Now I'm just going to tell you, this is our business. <laughs> and this is the family business. This is this family's business. If you've never heard the family business, then you need to listen to the family business. It'll help you. There's four entrances into this body of believers. The first one is the converted. It's conversion. It's the unbeliever is converted. People come from the world and they don't know the Lord and they are converted. I call that the harvest or the field of harvest. They don't know the Lord. Now, now I would say, and I, don't, I'm, I'm, I want to be careful how I do this. This is just my opinion. I believe that that is our primary function. To reach people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. To talk to people who have not heard about the name of Jesus or been baptized in the name. I believe that's our primary function. But I do know that is one of the entrances into this body. When people come and they repent of their sins, they enter this family, this body. They enter that. When they're baptized in Jesus' name, fill the Holy Ghost, they enter this body of Jesus Christ. We, we don't have a card. I guess we could. We don't have a, we don't have a membership card. We've never had that. Um, but, I, I mean, people have asked, can we have one of those? I, I suppose if you want to make one, I'll sign it. Um, <laughs> I'm not, we might do that someday. Maybe, maybe the laws of the land will, will push us into having one of those. I don't know. Um, but... Really, the entrance to this church comes a little bit different way, and it's far more important than signing your name on a roster. Amen. But the conversion process brings people into the body of Jesus Christ and into the body of this church. And that is critical for all of us to know, that, that the way we become his hands and his feet, his voice, is to reach people with the gospel. That's the will of God for your life. Let me say that again. 
It's the will of God for you to be a witness to the lost and bring them to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to the cross where he was crucified, to an altar of repentance, and walk with them until they are baptized in Jesus' name, just like Philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch. He did not leave him, but he baptized them, him in water that was close by. This is critical that you realize that is the will of God for your life. If you're looking for the will of God and you have not found that particular function yet, everything else is peripheral. Well, is the will of God for you to buy this house? I don't know. Have you won somebody to the Lord? Have you brought them to God? Well, is the will of God for me to, uh, to buy this lawnmower? Should I buy a John Deere or a Dixie Chopper? I have no idea. But have you taught a Bible study? Everybody, you know, you know how many times I've heard, heard people ask me what the will of God is for my life? They want to know the will of God, whether they take this job or that job or marry that person or don't, uh, whatever. The will of God is for you to reach somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anything else is peripheral. In fact, in comparison, none of it matters except you reach the world before they die and they face a judgment without the, without the blood applied to the life in baptism. Amen. So that's the entrance into the church. What if we opened up the doors to the church? How many doors are there? As many people as, as are sitting in this sanctuary, that's, that's how many doors we have to the church. You are a door. You are the door. Amen. All right. Number two, another way. Uh, uh, conversion. Another way is the natural birth. Now, I can't tell you how many children I've dedicated. Uh, I, I want to say the number is, in 23 years, I want to say it's over 200. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say maybe over 200. I, I did the math. I, I have an idea that in the next several years, somewhere between five and six years, I think five years, I have an expectation 100 babies are going to be born in the church. Natural, natural births. Uh, we have a couple people that are doing it, you know, two at a time. Twins, it's wonderful. Uh, we're, just knock, we're just knocking them down. Um, natural birth. Your children and, and perhaps your grandchildren. Let me read this to you. But this is the entrance. Uh, I'm, I'm reading from Deuteronomy chapter 4. There's multiple other verses, but I'll, let me just read a few extra verses here. Verse 7. For what nation is there so great? Who hath God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? Who else has a God like that? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgment so righteous as all this law, which I set before you this day? Who has these things? Israel has them. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen. Unless they depart, they depart from my heart all the days of my life. Don't forget them. Here's the, here's the other part of that. But teach them, I'll put it in our words, teach it to your sons and to your grandsons. Teach it to your children. Teach it to your daughters. Because you can have a natural birth, but never teach your children the doctrine of Jesus Christ and tell them 
what God has done for you. The great travesty is that babies have been dedicated to the Lord, but today the parents are not living for God and the kids grow up and never even heard anyone ever speak in tongues. The entrance, yes, it's a natural birth. I call this family development, but the development comes from from what happens when we relay the doctrines to our children. Number three are prodigals. Everyone say prodigals. Prodigals is, is the part of the scripture, but I, 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 let me just read a little bit of this. I, I'm only taking one portion. But this was, the, this was the father. It was meat. It was important. It was necessary that we should have a party. <laughs> Make merry. Be glad. He has to describe it to the brother that was, oh man. The brother was lost inside the house because he didn't have the heart of the father. The second son was lost in the world because he had abandoned the father's house. But the eldest son didn't have the heart of the father. And didn't understand the value of a found soul. For this thy brother was dead. Why would the older brother have need of an explanation? Because he did not have the heart of the father. He did not have the disposition of the father. Your brother, to me, to all of us, he was dead. But now he's alive again. Everyone say again. Because when they're gone, they're dead. But when they come back, they're alive again. Was lost and now is found. And an entrance is happening in this house. People are going to walk in this house. And they are prodigals. They are wayward sons and wayward daughters. And they're coming here. It's already starting to happen. We prayed for this three months ago. It is already starting to happen. I, I, I feel a prophecy on me. It's going to explode. People are going to come back. They're coming here. It is amazing what's happening. It's amazing. Alexandra is at, is at St. Mary's of the Woods. And she has a, a classmate. The lady is in her 30s. And, and they are talking every day. They're talking. And Allie says, Dad, I, I wanted to say something about, about the Lord, about the church. And I didn't know what to say. And so little by little, I just talked a little bit about about my church and, and she did, she said I didn't say who you were or who I was nothing and and finally the lady started asking me about the church she said well I, you know we, we we don't go to a church right now and and I don't know if my husband wants to go to a church but but you know I I, I know I need something so they're just talking and they're talking and they're just going to class together it's all they're just going to class doing some study together and 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 Allie's bragging on this lady and how hard she works she works a job and then goes to school and She's managed a home and then her children. And one day the lady came to her and said, Alexandra, you would not believe it. But I went home and told my husband about, about the church. And he said, oh, yes, I know Pastor Harpole. He baptized me a long time ago in the old building. I know who that is. And if we go to church, that's the church we're going to go to. I can't even remember who the guy is. You don't know how many people are out there. Many years ago, before we ever moved here, we were baptizing them 15 and 20 people at a time. One night, it took us 45 minutes to baptize people in Jesus' name. 
We don't, even, we don't even know. You have no idea who you're coming in contact with. You do not know. Amen. Praise God. There, the entrance to the church has to be prodigals, ladies and gentlemen. It has to be prodigals. You have to have, a, you have, to have prodigals come back. And the, the prodigal, guess what happens when the prodigal comes home? It has more to do with, with our disposition than it does with theirs. They know the Lord will forgive them. They just wonder if the church will accept them. When I spoke to a prodigal not too long ago, the prodigal said to me, Pastor, I've made so many mistakes. I, I've fallen. I've been in and out so many times. I don't even know. I'm embarrassed. I don't even know if I can come back. And I said to her, don't, don't worry about that. This is your house. This is your house. How about that be the disposition of the body? Let me just help everybody. That's the disposition of the pastor. That means this is your disposition by virtue of acceptance and adoption. Amen. And finally, it's the believer transfer. It's the believer transfer. And that... That definition is pretty simple. It's the established believers joining. Everyone say joining. Joining the existing body. See, the fact of the matter is, I didn't baptize everybody in this church, and not everybody who attends New Life was baptized in the North Campus or the South Campus by, by the people that reside here. So there's the believer transfer. And, and that happens because people are hungry and sometimes they move. Sometimes it's a job-related thing. Sometimes it's a family thing. But people will move here for various reasons, different reasons. And that believer transfer also has some things that need to be considered. So to do that, let's do the obligations of these four entries. The converted. The people that come knew, really didn't know too much They've been converted. I'm, I'm offering this, and it may not be applicable to every person here, but this is the expectation. The first obligation is adherence to the Scripture. Because the Scripture is more important than the things that have been taught from the world. We have to obey the Bible. Because... This truly is a Bible-believing church. It's a, it's a spirit-led church, and it's a Bible church. It, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's, not the, it's not the good book of the Reader's Digest version. It's not chicken soup for the soul. It's not, it's not a commentary. It's the Scripture. I preach the Bible. I thank all the teachers that have taught, the ministers that have been teaching here the last several weeks, and I know that I know they were teaching, speaking from the Bible. Um, stories are good, they help, but all of that has to line up to the Scripture. And then the next thing that, that, that is required is a removal of worldly elements. Now that takes time, but that's, that happens in a couple different functions. Repentance can happen at the altar, but there's a life of repentance. And the Bible says, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. So this is a very interesting thing. Uh, the converted needs to convert. 
That means they abandoned a few things. A lady years ago said to her pastor, uh, she said, you know, I, I'm, I'm in church. She said, but, I, you know, I didn't know if this was going to work or not. So all the things I used to do and used to put on and all that, I, I boxed it all up. I put it in my closet just in case if I backslid, I wouldn't have to spend so much money replenishing my supply. Guess how long she stayed? Not long, because every time she opened up her closet, there was the box of all the paraphernalia that she used to engage with. <laughs> That's right. So when you are converted... Yes, here's an expectation. We're, we're not going to say those words anymore. We're, we're, we're not going to look at that anymore. We're not going to act like that anymore. That's, that's an expectation. Now, that could take a little time, but that's the expectation. Amen. See, the, the opposite of that is come as you are, stay as you are. Do whatever you were doing before. Well, then you're, you haven't really repented. Because repentance means, it comes from the word metanio, and the Greek means an about face. It means you're walking in an opposite direction. So even the people who have been believers, you might have to go back to repentance and change your ways because you start walking again like you used to walk. Number three is worship. Well, this is, this is an expectation. We will worship. We will give unto the Lord the glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We will worship. Worship is the expectation of the body. And finally, I'm sorry, there's two more. Faithfulness in giving and serving. We will be faithful. And we will be willing to follow through obedience. Not necessarily through comprehension or understanding. Because when you become, when you get into this, there's a lot of light can blind you a little bit. You, you, man, you, you just, boy, there's so much to, to see. So if you'll stay faithful and you'll be willing through obedience, it'll, the process will bring you into understanding. Because remember, it's a word church. It's a Bible church. It's a scripture. And so God will give you revelation and understanding and the word will enlighten you. Everybody said Amen. The next part of the obligation considers sons and daughters, natural sons and daughters. Remember all those kids that are being born. But in this particular uh, aspect, the obligation is not on the son. It's not on the child. In this scenario, the teaching, the training, the direction is the parent's responsibility. Little boys and girls don't learn the art of manipulation by themselves. That's not an innate trait. They learn it from someone else. Little kids don't learn. They don't, they don't wake up one day and start using bad terms. They learn that from exampleship. The reason why kids have grown up in church and now they're in their 20s and they've never given any money to a missionary is because their parents never taught them that. And so the obligation was not on the child, it was on the parent. And in the Jewish community, it was the parent's responsibility, not the high priest, not the prophet. It was the parent's responsibility to teach their sons and their daughters, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, God is one Lord. Well, no, now listen, we're going to send you off, we're going to send you off the synagogue, and you're going to learn that scripture. What? They knew that before they ever walked in the door. They did not have to go to the temple to learn about the law of the Lord. They learned the law of the Lord with their parents and their home. 
But what we've become is we become a group of Pentecostal socialists. This is a spiritual welfare system. I'm going to send my kids to church. You make them spiritual. I don't understand. I've been sending my kids to church for 10 years. Why are they carnal? Well, you ask the question. You are the answer. Everybody smile at me. Just pretend that you're enjoying this. Yes? The obligation is on the parents. Natural sons and daughters. If there's anyone... Who ought to be living for God. It ought to be the children that we baptized and dedicated. And they're in this altar running around. Amen. Yes. Um, There's a couple bullet points here. Teaching of the scripture. The doctrine. Everyone say conduct. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And spiritual disciplines. Yes. That's all of the church's responsibility. Now, I thank the Lord for our wonderful leaders of children's ministry and Sunday school teachers and youth directors and youth leaders and our youth pastor. I thank God for the ministry of the church and people that involved in us so much. But really, this, this is, all happens at home. And, and, and if you have the television on in your home every day, 24 hours a day, and your kids are on the Internet every day, on their phones, you're on your phone, you're on your computer, you're watching all that stuff. Let me just tell you, they're not learning anything from you except what not to do. The, the, the battle is for the time. battle is over time. The battle is over content. The battle is over purity of your mind. You know why people dress like the world and follow the fashions of the world? Because that's what they've been looking at all day. They don't have the mind of God. So we are in Bible study, and I did not bring any homogenized milk with me. Not even whole milk. <clears throat> there is another aspect of, of entry and obligation to the prodigal. The, rep- the prodigal, when the prodigal comes back, the prodigal has to have a repented spirit. I think almost in every case that takes place. And that repented spirit is their own heart. And the obligation of the church then is to rally around that repented spirit. The more we do that, the greater the draw for people who feel discouraged. But everyone has an obligation. The second one is really contingent upon the first. Because I've been around this a long time. Because sometimes... People mess up adultery, fornication, criminal acts, drug use, alcoholism, anger, the horribleness of this world. And they ask God to forgive them, but then they become very dogmatic in their return. 
and they fail with compassion for others. I've seen too many men and women be forgiven of gross infractions and then become critical of other people and their dilemmas and their trial. And if the heart's not fully repented, they'll lose compassion for other people that are going through other issues. And maybe they didn't get out like you did. It is an obligation of every person who walks back in. Man, if there's anybody who should be, who should be loving and having compassion, who should be gracious and long-suffering, it should be the people who have been forgiven a whole lot. If God has forgiven you of a lot of things in your life, you should be oozing with compassion and mercy for everybody. The last thing you should ever say is, well, you know, I didn't know if they were going to make it. You should say to them, you are going to make it. And if they fall down 5,000 times, you say, I know, but you're getting back up again. I've been there and I know God can bring you back. The obligation of the people who come back is critical that compassion oozes out of your mouth and your life. Love, just massive love. In fact, you should err so far on the side of mercy that I have to come to you and say, now hold on, hold on, let me, let me straighten some things out here. I'd rather settle you down a little bit with mercy than have to say, well, I, I can't believe it. You mean you cheated on your wife and you are not in church and you are critical and you are angry and God forgave you and brought you back, but now What? Have you forgotten what God did for you, but now you are judgmental in the actions of other people? The obligation of every prodigal is to have a repented spirit and a compassionate heart. And then a willingness to obey the original planted seed. Because you have the Lord. Now, I I have to tell you, if you've been baptized in the name of Jesus and you do something that's unsavory, that's sinful, that's carnal, that's wrong. You don't have to be rebaptized. You just bring that sin back to the altar and, and your sin is then buried in the same way that your original sin was buried. And the things that you've been taught, you have to learn and grow by those things. You don't need to relearn, just recall. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I can tell you the easiest way to do that. Start a prayer life. And then get a prayer life until you develop a life of prayer. You don't ever go to a life of prayer. First, it's just a prayer life. It's five minutes. And then it's ten minutes. And then it's thirty minutes. Because the first five minutes, you say everything you can think of. You run out of things to say. And you just kind of groan and read the Bible a little bit. And then you, you figure out, I got more to say. And then you pray the scripture. And then, and then you put on some music. Then you walk around. Then you pray again. And then, and then the devil, every time I go to pray, I bring a notebook and a pen. Because the devil reminds me all the stuff that I should have been doing. Or I forgot. I forget everything until I start praying. I remember everything while I'm praying. So thank you, devil. I'm going to write this down. I wrote it down. Go on my prayer. I've made great list of things I ought to be doing. But I forgot to do them. But the devil reminded me to interrupt me in my prayer. He's better than an alarm clock. Until you develop a communication with God. If I'm in the backyard, in the front yard, if I'm in my car, I'm praying, Jesus, I need your help. Lord, help us. Help us. Amen. The way that you go back to obedience is critical. You just go back to obedience. If you, if you fail, go back to obedience. Obedience 
to the original thing that you knew. The seed is the word. Amen. And now it's the joining of believers. And this is the last part. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to exhaust this one tonight, and I'll go further to it. Um, I've been with some folks that had a failure of kidney. Um, one in particular, a, a liver failure uh, and lung failure. Uh, also, our, our esteemed bishop has had a heart transplant just recently, last year, had a heart transplant. Um, the first thing that happens in the transplant is that they'll take uh, samples of the blood and, and I've, I've done this research so I'll try to slim it down and take it out of the vernacular of, of, of the medical journal. The, the constitution of, of the, the transplanted organ has to match the constitution and blood type of the host. The host uh, is desperate. Uh, we've been praying for Sister Warner. Sister Warner's liver failed her. She, she, she never had any alcohol in her whole life, never had any, it never did, it never smoked anything, but just hereditarily, she, her liver died. And she didn't have a liver transplant, she was going to die. Incredibly enough, her daughter-in-law, that they prayed for all those years that their son would marry a good girl and bring her into the family. Her daughter-in-law has given her a, a piece of her liver. And the daughter-in-law that donated a piece of liver, her liver is going to grow back to the full size. It's incredible. It's, it's, it's the one organ that will, will grow. And then the liver, the part of the liver that's transplanted, that will also grow. But there's certain medications that, that the doctor can give for the host that will try to help the transfer of the organ. Because if the constitution is off a little bit, the host will reject and kill, watch this, the much needed organ. The host will die without a heart. But before the host body will welcome the new heart that it needs to live, it would rather reject the heart that won't match up to the body than to live with a heart that won't submit to the host. (laughs) And the body needs the lungs, but if the lungs... Don't match and submit to the body. The body will reject and kill the lungs. Reject it. And the body will send blood cells to attack the much needed organ. Even though the body desperately needs that organ to live. So the onus and the responsibility is not on the host. The host never changes for the transplant. The transplant submits to the host. I didn't baptize you. I didn't pray with you when you received the Holy Ghost. You have to adopt me. And until you adopt me, we got a real platonic relationship. And it probably won't work very long. So the... (laughs) 
So the only way this happens is that the person who walks in, who's already had a shepherd, a pastor, a leader, they've got to love them, but then they have to exercise a new form, a disposition. It comes from the head, Jesus Christ. It's called humility. That's the first step of everyone who walks in is humility. Now, oh man, decades ago, decades ago, I don't know. Somebody said to me, I said to them, so glad you're here. And they said, well, you preach what we believe. Pat me on the back, walked away. As that was, they thought that was the greatest compliment in the world. You preach what we believe. And I, I, I receive it. Listen, it's okay. I'll take a $10 gift card. I'd rather have 20 But if it's $5, you can get half a cafe mocha. At Java Hope with $5. You can half of it. You know, you got the grande, you got the grande grande, you got the mucho grande, you got the little bitty tester. That's about five bucks now. You preach what we believe. Love you, Pastor. But if you ask a new convert, like Brother Jimmy, he ain't gonna tell you that. Jimmy Van Zandt's gonna tell you. He, that's not his response. Here's what he's gonna say. See, because when he got the Holy Ghost, he didn't know anything about God. He went home, prayed with his friend, told his friend, I got the Holy Ghost, started speaking to his friends. He said, his friend said something like, hey, can we do that here? I said, yes, let's do that. But my mom will be afraid to turn up the radio. All he had was really hard rock music, turn up the rock music, I think. Prayed with his friend, the Holy Ghost came in the room. It's the only other person who got the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, listening to Led Zeppelin. I don't know, something like that. I was just... Something. Jesus is bigger than old lead, whoever that is. <laughs> He's not going to tell you that. No, he ain't going to tell you, you preach what I believe. No, he believes whatever I preach. Oh, that's the difference, you see. So if I say to him, oh no, Noah and his wife Joan were in the ark. Joan of Arc. Um, he will fight you if you say that's wrong. Because I'm his father in the gospel. Yeah, he'll squash you like a bug. Now, there are people who come in, but they already decided what they are. So number two, if you walk in from another minister... You have to, it's a big one, have humility, and then next, pay attention, paying attention. This is years ago, Jeff Kochfar uh, had come. He had been raised by a wonderful apostolic man. Had he, when I got to Jeff Kochfar, he didn't know all the stuff, and, and I started connecting the dots. Went to his home, taught them to Bible studies, and all the family gathered around, everybody. Tammy and I was there, and all the kids, everybody brought everybody in. And, and, and Billy and Dina came in, and, and they didn't have clear understanding of, of what the gospel was or the revelation. They had little parts of things. They had Jesus' name, but they didn't have all this other stuff. And we collected, it was amazing. The revelation came, boom. They, they were just there. It was just, it was incredible. It was incredible. But because he came and had a little bit, and then, then he had an expectation, 
congregation, he was frustrated. He was telling me, Pastor, I'm frustrated. I don't know why. And then he confided in, 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 in one of the ladies and, and, and he said to Patty Wallace, I'm kind of frustrated. And she rebuked him and said, the reason why you're frustrated is because you don't know your pastor's anointing. You've never stopped to pay attention. Now, I didn't know she rebuked him, but I gave her a $20 gift card. I found out. That's right. Well, I mean, a hug. I gave her a hug. It's worth that. Yes. And, and what happened there was he had to refocus his mind to the structure, patterns, and direction of the body. Because I'll tell you how to damage the church. You bring the traditions, customs, ideas from whoever raised you or taught you. If they don't align with the family business here, you will hurt the body here. You'll, you'll hurt and thwart the revival here. So what you have to do is, if you are, if, and you may be desperately needed. You might be a lung. You might be a heart. You might be a main thoroughfare of blood, of artery, and the church desperately needs you. That's why God puts you here. But unless you conform to the patterns and the structures and the teachings of the body, you'll damage the body. Amen. Amen. And number three is conforming. Now that looks like compromise. It's not compromise. Conforming. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Which is that good? What is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God? Brethren. Brethren. Don't be ignorant. That's what Paul said. Don't be ignorant. Conform yourself. Conform. Be a mature individual. Pay attention to the flow. If you don't know what to wear, or Tammy would kill me for saying this. I won't say it, but now you already know, right? You, you know. You, got, you can fill in the blank. When to respond, pay attention. Because you'll know, okay, that's not the time. That's not the thing. We don't say that. We don't demean that. That's not where we're going. But if you bring a custom in here that's different from this custom, swallow your old one and conform to the new one. Because you are already a believer. Now, I'll be with you till you die. I'll make it a covenant. I will make with you a covenant, and I do this, a covenant relationship with you from now to the time that you or I die. If the Lord tarries, I'm going to be with you. If you pass away first, chances are I'm going to be preaching your funeral and thanking God that you are in heaven, resting with the Lord. It's a covenant relationship. I'll I'll be here Sunday. Just want you to know I'll be here Sunday. I'll be preaching Sunday, just so you know. I'll be gone tomorrow, but I'm going to be here Sunday. And, And I'm not just in the spirit. I hope I'm here in the spirit too, but I will be here. My body will be here. Conforming to pastoral leadership through recognition of the anointing. That is what everyone has to have. Listen, I'm preparing this because there's coming a day when you're going to have to teach and reteach what I'm saying to other people who are walking in. Because they're going to come from places and they're going to desperately need the power of the Holy Ghost that they're experiencing in this house. But inadvertently, maybe even subconsciously, they're going to bring in and say, well, that's not how we used to do it. Well, that's not how we did it there. Well, you're not there no more. You're here. You're not with the Irish. 
you're with the Italians. And I dub you all Italians. And if you don't like it, conform. This is the nature of the church here. The nature of the church is we worship hard, we pray hard, we fast hard, we give everything, we love hard, we are relentless, we want everyone to be saved, we're never going to stop preaching the lost, we're going to love everybody who falls down, we're going to lift everybody up, we're going to give honor to honor as due. That's what we're doing. And we're not giving up on godliness, our holiness, our righteous living. We're going to baptize in Jesus' name for the remission of sins. We're going to pray until they receive the Holy Ghost. That's right. We're going to get everybody we can. We're going to move ourselves from our seat if they take it first. Amen. Praise God. Amen. This just, these are just little protocols. That second row is for Sister Tammy and whoever she chooses to put in that seat. Missionary, her children, anyone she wants there, that's her second row. That's it. It's uh, six seats. That's all. But she'll move if she has to move. And that's going to be good until we move over there. Then we don't even know where she's going to go. I think she should sit on the platform. Amen. All in favor say aye. All opposed. Motion carried. (laughs) And finally, number four. I've gone too long. Finally, number four. A willingness to serve in the flow. Everyone say in the flow. In the flow of the Holy Spirit. Because we're going to flow in the Holy Spirit. If you came from a place. Come here, heart. All right, kidney. I need you, lung. If you came from a place where everyone was just real quiet. No one said anything. No one clapped. No one said amen. That's not where you are now. If you hear something good, you say amen. If you heard it before, just say it keeps getting better. (laughs) if you don't like it just take a hard swallow duck your head and don't complain because we already have that ministry filled it's been occupied there's a waiting list to get into that department (laughs) a willingness to serve in the flow of the Holy Spirit the spirit of the church now the spirit of the church Hopefully is in this is in the mode of the Holy Spirit, but the spirit of the church is the attitude of the body. This is the attitude of the body. Watch this. The spirit of the church is to have boundaries around everything. See, some of you didn't go because you weren't here many, many years ago when Sister Tammy and I taught boundaries and borders around marriages. You don't share everything with another couple. You weren't here when Dr. Hughes said 60 hours plus of intimate conversation with someone who's not your spouse will lead you inevitably to an affair. It only takes one person to have an affair, and then all of a sudden, our body is destroyed. Don't bring that addiction in here. Don't come in here thinking this is a great place to find, find a wife or a husband, but you're not spiritual. This is not a dating center. You can find that on FarmersOnly.com. It's my favorite one. I've never been on it, but I just love the name. I think there's a country song that says something about how she loves her, his John Deere. Okay. And then the nature of the leadership. You flow in the nature of the leadership. You flow in the nature of the leadership. Here's your, here, you, you, the leadership is here. Ryan and Amanda Wallace. Zach and, Aunt, Zach, Zach and Lacey Fisher. 
Andrew and Crystal Fisher, Pastor and Sister Shock. There's natures of leadership. Is there leadership? What's the nature of them? Find out. Pay attention. Amen. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ does not mean that we absolve them or go away, move them away. It means that they're the foundation, going to perfection. You don't have to lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, of baptisms, doctrine of the baptisms, laying out of hands. We're going on. Resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. We're going to go on to perfection. Everybody said amen. We're going to be talking about the body. Amen. We're going to be working on the body. Praise God. Let's stand together. Just lift up your hand to the Lord if you can and just say, thank you, Lord, for the word. I receive the word. Come on, I receive the word. I receive the word. You are a good God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.